traffic monitoring is to know which assets are connecting to which services right now. Network modeling is which assets can connect to which services. Welcome everyone to the Industrial Security Podcast. I'm Nate Nelson, here with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce the subject and the guest of our show today. Andrew, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Robin Bettier. Um, he is the CEO and co-founder of Network Perception. You know, the episode's title is Set and Forget is Not Cyber Resiliency. It's a bit cryptic. What we're going to be looking at is a technology that I did not know existed. It's a technology that compares what we have to what we're supposed to have in our network access systems. And it, you know, it tells us when we're drifting security-wise. Then without further ado, here's your conversation with Robin. Hello, Robin, and welcome to the podcast. Um, before we get going, uh, can you maybe tell us a few words about yourself and about the good work that you're doing at Network Perception? Thanks, Andrew, for having me. Uh, so yeah, my name is Robin Butier. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Network Perception. Uh, we are a cybersecurity software company focusing on uh, protecting you know, critical assets in OT environment. I uh, studied my uh, career in industrial control systems as a research scientist. So prior to network perception, I was at the University of Illinois in, in Champaign-Urbana, uh, working through Information Trust Institute with uh, you know funding from DOE, DHS to um, you know design and develop the next generation of of software and solution to better visualize and and verify how we we protect and and check you know critical networks. Um, our, our goal is um, you know to empower practitioners and professionals in those environments uh, to uh, you know have a much better visibility and and uh, better tools to uh, to defend themselves. And our topic today is about how set and forget is not cyber resiliency. You know, I think, you know, I have an idea of what set and forget is, but can you level set us? Can you, can you walk us through what, what is set and forget in your mind? And, and, uh, you know, why is it a concern? ICS environments have like non-negotiable priorities. And the number one safety, uh, you have heavy machinery, uh, high voltage, so safety is the top top priority. Uh, and second, operational availability. You need to keep, you know, your your operations running. Whether you are a manufacturing plant, a power station, uh, a water treatment plant, and you know, until recently, cybersecurity wasn't you know part of those top priorities. And I think most organizations with a uh, industrial control system are going through, I would say, three phases of maturity. Um, you know, phase one was, you know, we don't need cybersecurity because we are air-gapped. Uh, you know, there's no connection, so we don't need it. Uh, phase two was actually we we may need some cybersecurity because we're seeing our neighbors getting hacked. And then uh, phase three, uh, which I think most organizations are in today, is, you know, we absolutely need it. Uh, we need to raise uh, 
uh, the, the, the bar there in terms of uh, defending ourselves against uh, adversaries. Uh, but, you know, how to get started? Our environment is complex. We have a mix of legacy and, and modern technology. We have geographically distributed um, hardware. So where do we start to, um, uh, you know, to be more secure? And, you know, one, uh, one of the key uh, uh, techniques to, uh, to start securing your environment is to, you know, segment your network and put firewalls. Uh, but I think we, uh, you know, too many times we, we purchase a firewall, we put it in the environment, and then we, we check the, the checkbox there and we think that we're, we're set. Like we, we have that, it's, it's, uh, we're all good, and we can forget about it. And the reality is that now network environments are much more dynamic than before. Uh, we have evolving technology. Uh, you know, threats are getting more sophisticated. Uh, we have new uh, employees working, new uh, new partnerships with other organizations. So we need to be able to periodically check and review whether those firewalls that we've been putting in place are still, you know, defending our critical assets correctly. And, and it's, it's a harm's race against, you know, more and more sophisticated attacks. And that's why we need to have this continuous verification mindset, uh, which, is, uh, which is really different from the, the set and forget approach that, uh, you know, we had in the past. Um, an example to uh, illustrate that is like recently, you know, the uh, in the pipeline uh, industry, like TSA switched from, you know, voluntary cybersecurity approach to now in uh, a framework with enforcement to really push, uh, you know, pipeline owners and operators in the U.S. Uh, to adopt a, a cybersecurity strategy uh, with a set of you know documents and plan to make sure that that they do those those uh, continuous verification and periodic check of the network segmentation. So, you know, everything was voluntary until uh, until Colonial Pipeline. Then, uh, you know, be a high-profile uh, breach, uh, and then uh, TSA came back with with a pretty stringent uh, you know framework to ensure that you know we are we're transitioning from that voluntary base to a enforced uh, set of rules around cybersecurity. Um, but that's not easy, you know, in, in OT, again, we have still that safety and operational availability priorities that are non-negotiable. Uh, we need to, you know, help the industry. And that means to develop solutions that are aware of the OT requirements, you know, finding ways that are, you know, lightweight, highly usable, providing instant value, and then feeding those solutions into a larger umbrella of, you know, what we call cyber resiliency. You know, it's, it's a journey. How do we go step by step into making sure that we are becoming, you know, cyber resilient organizations? And our topic today is cyber resilience. I mean, I've heard the word resilience a lot lately, and the word seems to mean something different every time I hear it. Can you talk about what cyber resilience means to you and and really, whatever it means, can you tell us, how do you do that? Really, I, I recommend, you know, leveraging the great document that NIST uh, put together around building cyber resilience systems. It's the, uh, you know, special publication 800-160, volume two. Uh, it all starts with the risk assessment strategy. It's, it's a document that you put in place 
to make sure that all stakeholders are aligned with this objective of of becoming cyber resilient. Um, then you, uh, from the document, you you define your goals that may be specific to your organization. You know what are your critical operations, what are your critical assets, what are the critical cyber assets controlling those those that industrial equipment. And then uh, once you have this, uh, you know that that define the the, the assets uh, identified, then you can start measuring where you are with your with your goal and invest in uh, what we call the, the cyber resiliency techniques or, or cyber resiliency building blocks. And the NIST document is listing 14 of them. Um, they are organized in uh, four categories. The, the first is you know, gaining visibility and understanding on your environment. Uh, the second is defense in depth, uh, having multiple layers of, uh, of defenses so that if one is breached, you have backups. Uh, number three is consistently uh, adopting and following a principle of least privilege, you know, restricting access and, and giving you know, permission to, uh, for users to access specific services on a need-to-know basis. And then the fourth one is to uh, develop capabilities to recover you know, faster. We call that the agile uh, recovery capabilities. Um, so uh, among those four, you know, categories of building blocks, you know, the most important one is to, to get started is, is network visibility. You, you won't be able to defend, uh, an infrastructure if we don't, if you don't know what you have in, in that infrastructure and how things are connected. Uh, so that's really where, where, uh, where I focus my efforts. So Nate, Robin said that uh, you know the drive towards resilience in in eight hundred one sixty, the drive towards you know cybersecurity and industrial networks generally starts with with uh, you know protecting the network. You you buy a firewall, you know. I, I he's absolutely right. I mean, historically, you know, back in what was it oh seven, the very first ISA standard came out. Uh, you know, SP ninety nine dash one dash one. Uh, you know, this became 62443-1-1 and, uh, you know, half of the standard talked about, you know, introduced the terms zones and conduits and talked about, uh, you know, segmenting, talked about segmenting your networks, talked about organizing your networks into groups of similar assets that have you know, similar, similar security characteristics, similar communications and other needs. Often the very first technology investment anybody makes in a cybersecurity initiative for industrial operations is to buy a firewall, get the OT network off of the IT network. Uh, you know, it's this is Security 101. Hopefully, most of our listeners are past that point and have long since segmented their their OT from their their IT networks. Robin also mentioned their 800-160, and I don't think that he's the first guest in recent memory to have done so. Andrew, is there something to talk about there? Yeah, I've been meaning to read the standard. Um, you know, I have it open in front of me here. It's it's a bit of a, a stretch. It's 300 pages. Uh, but it's talking about resilient systems. Some of these techniques seem sort of uh, basic. They seem to echo uh, what's happening in the industrial world. Uh, some of them seem, you know, a little advanced. And I don't know if they're really a good fit for the industrial world, but stuff like deception, mislead, confuse, hide critical assets from our adversaries, um, you know, uh, dynamic... Uh, 
uh, creation and destruction of assets. You know, this is like virtual machines, you know, create stuff when you need it and then get rid of it. Um, you know, redundancy, obviously segmentation, obviously. So, you know, again, I, I, it, a couple of guests have mentioned it recently. It's, it's less than a year old. Uh, you know, I'm determined to read it and there seems to be some good stuff in here. If, you know, even if not all of it's applicable to the industrial world terribly easily. Okay, so so you said network visibility. That's that's where you start. I've heard other people say you start with network visibility as well. Um, are we talking about the kind of visibility that's looking at network traffic to see what the packets are, to to see who's you know who's sending messages to whom, and you know are those messages benign or malicious, or does network visibility mean something else to you? Looking at network traffic is extremely important, uh, but it's half of the journey. Uh, there are really two sides to network visibility, and the NIST document does a great job to describe uh, each of those uh, approaches. Uh, the first one is called analytic monitoring, and it's to identify adverse action you know, as soon as possible with uh, solutions such as intrusion detection systems where you instrument networks uh, with the, you know tap or, or span or sensors, and uh, there are great you know uh, f- platforms available from different vendors specifically for OT. I'm thinking of you know Clarity, Dragos, Nozomi networks. Um, the other side of network visibility is called dynamic representation, and it's when we leverage modeling. It's how can we understand the network architecture and the dependencies that we have among our different assets. So, you know, on one side you have monitoring, on the other side you have modeling, and together that's really how you can uh, gain that comprehensive picture over your, you know, over your network and and gain that full visibility over your environment. Um, uh, The way to summarize it is that, you know, traffic monitoring is to know which assets are connecting to which services right now while network modeling is which assets can connect to which services. It's really understanding what what can be done throughout your network and whether your your segmentation is is properly deployed and enforced. Um, so you need both. Uh, they have different uh, you know deployment and resources requirements. Uh, the you know network uh, modeling is usually much faster because you don't need to instrument your network with sensors. You you simply need the you know config files from your network devices such as um, you know firewalls, routers, and switches. Okay, but when you say faster, um, you know I'm a little confused. When you know the word modeling to me means sort of analysis. I imagine drawing diagrams, you know, writing documents. Is this what modeling is? I mean, do you, you know, you, you mentioned the config file. Are you staring at the config file and trying to figure out what it means? Or is, is something else going on? Well, that's the, um, the output that you'll get. But, you know, we have technology today to automatically uh, extract and build a model from your network device configurations. You no longer need to uh, stare at uh, you know thousands of access rules and routes and interfaces. Uh, you can ingest that into an application uh, that will build a visual topology of your of your environment 
and then compute all the connectivity paths. That's really where the model is is being leveraged, and 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 that way you can you know check your your segmentation. Um, it's um, you know it, 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 this process will depend on the size of your network, but when you start with a you know a, a dozen or, or you know twenty thirty devices, firewalls, wireless switches, the parsing, so the extraction of information you know from the configuration into a standard format, and then the modeling only takes a few minutes. So it's really a, a instant value type solution where you can have a an accurate representation of your network uh, extremely fast. Andrew, is it really thousands of different routes, connections, rules in a, when you're looking at a firewall, or is Robin exaggerating that number? I don't think he's exaggerating at all. I mean, uh, let me tell you a story, but then I'll I'll drop into the sort of the general case. Um, I was talking to a a gentleman at a conference a few years ago. This is someone who managed the ITOT interface at a small refinery. Now, refineries are not small. The small refinery was massive in my books, but still a small refinery. Um, And uh, I asked him about you know, so we're talking about the ITOT interface. How many connections are there through that interface? And he looks me in the eye and he says, Andrew, if I had one of these, you know, telephone wires, the old, old style, plain old telephone voice wires, for every connection that's allowed through the firewall, I'd have, you know, if I bundle them all together, I'd have this many wires. And he holds his, his fingers like 14, 15 inches apart in you know, a circle. And I'm going, whoa, that's a lot of connections. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, subsequently I've seen firewall configurations. I've seen this many connections. Why is all that? It's because firewalls are as secure as you make them. They're as secure as you invest effort in them. The more secure, the more effort you got to invest. I mean, the simplest firewall is, has got one rule, allow everything. No security value, but it's only got one rule and you never have to change the rule. Okay. It's a maintenance free firewall. The most secure firewall has a rule for every allowed connection. If I have 700 users on the IT network that are allowed to connect to the Pi server in the the refinery's DMZ network, then, you know, the most secure configuration says, what's the IP address of every one of the, the, the laptops that's allowed to connect to the Pi server? Put a ruling for that. Not a rule saying, allow anybody on the IT network to connect to the Pi server. A rule for every user. But... Now, of course, users come and go, they change responsibilities, they may not need access to the Pi server anymore. I'm constantly adjusting these rules. Um, so yeah, it, it's absolutely true that at the most secure sites, you see a lot of firewall rules. So that makes sense. I mean, if you've got, I've seen firewalls with as many as, you know, a thousand plus rules in them. And, you know, there's lots of, lots of different, firewalls in in an industrial network there's routers there's who knows what um you know get having some automation on your side to to analyze this and and figure out what it means kind of kind of makes sense i mean when you introduced yourself you you said network perception you know works in the ot space do you have this kind of of analysis tool that that you're providing that's right you know this is really what um uh I've been involved in as part of the uh, research that uh, we were doing at the University of Illinois, um, and and the goal was to you know the initial uh, research question was 
if we have a network with a global access policy, that global access policy will be implemented by a distributed set of uh, network equipment, firewalls, routers, switches. Now, how do you make sure that globally at the level of your site or your network, you know, that uh, local implementation of your rule set is sound? Like where do you have mismatch? Is, is your army of firewalls enforcing the right set of policies that together you have a good network segmentation? Or are there any misconfiguration or overly permissive rules or something that would allow lateral movement or, you know, helping on a, uh, on a, on a breach or, or, you know, to expand an attack? So we first, um, you know, worked on a um, command line uh, prototype that could, you know, extract that information from config files uh, build a model and then and then give us give us a list of risk alerts or, or potential misconfigurations, and then um, we were fortunate to be able to work really closely with industry partners back at the universities. So we worked, you know, with, with medium and large uh, power utilities in the Midwest, uh, and the feedback we got was was really outstanding. So we decided to branch out of the uh, of the of the lab, launch Central Perception and uh, put this initial prototype into a product uh, called NPView. And, uh, you know, it's it's a on-prem solution. It can be downloaded as a desktop application or, or a server-based application. And now it's it's visual. So you simply drag and drop your configuration files. You can start with the, with the subset um, of your network with like your most critical firewalls. And then right away, you will see the model getting created with a visual representation of your network architecture and the path analysis in the background that will tell you if you have you know overly permissive path or incorrect you know remote access or you know uh, weak points in your in your network segmentation our initial use case has been to help you know NERC uh, auditors and, and utilities to prepare for NERC SIP audits uh, specifically around SIP5 and SIP3. Uh, and then on top of that initial use case, we've been you know, evolving the technology to uh, support the needs of uh, continuous you know, rule set review, ensuring that rules that are protecting critical assets are correctly defined and justified. And then, uh, and now we're uh, you know, adding uh, more security use cases around that network segmentation verification as well as as vulnerability assessment. So, I mean that that makes sense in theory, but can you give me some examples? What what kind of global policies are are we talking about? What what would a what would a global policy look like? What would it sound like? So, a global policy uh, would include uh, rules such as you know never allow any host from outside and outside could be defined as the internet or the larger corporate network. So don't allow anything from outside to directly connect uh, into your, uh, your SCADA environment. Um, and, and that's the type of rule that actually are being enforced by SIP5. You know, you need to make sure that Interactive remote access will stop at a jump host. 
uh, also called intermediate system. So that's the type of rule that could be enforced you know, locally by five or, or 10 different network devices, firewalls, routers. And you want to have that modeling capability to ensure that it's correctly implemented and there's no gap in, in, your, uh, in your set of, uh, of firewall rule sets. Um, another example would be, you know, if you organize uh, your network architecture according to the Purdue model, you know, you have different layers. Uh, one rule that you want to enforce is that not a single, not not one layer should be able to uh, jump another layer and connect, you know, two or more layers below. And uh, so you want to ensure that you have DMZs and, and all connections are stopping through DMZs before continuing with, you know, added authentication and, and, and uh, you know, multiple layers of defense. So that's an, another example of a global policy that you want to enforce across all your sites and modeling can help you answer that question extremely fast. Cyber attacks with physical consequences more than doubled in 2021. For industrial victims, the most common consequences were production outages at multiple sites. Most of the attacks were ransomware. And 2021 saw the first cloud-based ransomware attack. That attack compromised 1,500 businesses in the space of 45 minutes. These and other insights are included in a new threat report, co-authored by Waterfall Security Solutions and the new ICS Strive Industrial Incident Repository. For your copy of the report, please visit icsstrive.com. That's I-C-S-S-T-R-I-V-E dot com. Andrew, in the introduction to this episode, you mentioned that the kind of technology we're talking about here might be new to you. In what way, though, is this different than other solutions we've talked about on the show previously? Well, previously, we've talked about solutions that have, have different kinds of names. Uh, but, you know, these were solutions that would let you express policies for managing your automation systems and uh, would, you know, look at the configuration of, of the, the systems and tell you if the, if the policies are, are still being complied with. But as I recall, those tools were looking primarily at hosts and files and file systems. So, um, you know, you could express a policy that says, I don't know, everyone has to change their password every 12 months. And the systems would tell you if everyone has changed their passwords every 12 months or, you know, who hasn't changed it and you've got to go tap them on the shoulder. Or, you know, you might express a global policy that says only people in the, uh, in the network administration group uh, are allowed to read any file that contains remote access passwords. And, you know, there might be a, a dozen files like that on the system. And, you know, over time, you know, people change permissions, people modify stuff. But, you know, this these tools would, would tell you host-wise um, how much trouble you were in if a global policy had been violated. violated. You know, this is... What what uh, Robin is describing is a uh, a technology, a product that can do that, but in the network space. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, he mentioned um, jump host. You know, here's another example. He, he mentioned, uh, you know, the Purdue model. Um, the Purdue model has layers of networks, layers of firewalls, and best practice in the Purdue model is that a host in one layer can only connect through one layer of firewall into the next layer, the next network, be it 
coming in or going out. It doesn't matter. You, you, know, you cannot punch a connection from your PLC straight out to the internet through seven layers of firewall. So that's a global policy it says no connection may run through two layers of firewalls at the same time. Uh, and that, you know, that's a policy that you would like to know if over time people have added rules to the firewalls that violate that policy, because that's a, a policy that sort of spans multiple firewalls. Uh, you know, another example of that is something called uh, protocol breaks. Again, in the Purdue model, when you go from one, one layer to another, and then you go, you know, from that layer to the next layer, um, it's not just that you're supposed to have different connections, they're, they're supposed to be different protocols. And so you could express a rule that says, when you're looking at, you know, um, um, connections, you know, between layers, no two firewalls in adjacent layers should be able to send the same uh, service, the same, you know, TCP port number uh, through. So you always have to use different ports. And so presumably you're also always using different protocols. But again, this is a, a rule that sort of correlates the configurations of two different firewalls. It's not something you can see if you look at only one firewall. So this is this is what's new is sort of the, the ability to express global uh, rules about how you want access to be controlled and analyze individual firewalls or routers or other devices and ask the question, are these global rules being followed? Okay, so can we get even more specific? Um, you know, when you go into a typical industrial site and you, you analyze their, their networks and their, their protocols, um, how much information is involved? How many firewalls, how many routers, how, how big do these systems get? How complicated are they? Yeah, great question. And the good news is that we actually don't need to go inside the industrial site. Like that analysis, that modeling can be done offline uh, without having to connect to the network that you're that you're checking. Um, you know, sites can vary greatly in size. You know, from a, a substation with a single pair of firewalls to a large energy management system with you know, 50 to 100 firewalls. Uh, the advantage of modeling is that you can start small and then grow from there. So you don't have to cover your entire network right away. Um, the foundation to build the model will be the config files from firewalls, routers, and switches. This will generate, you know, that representation of your network architecture. Once you have that imported, uh, then you can enrich your map with endpoint information. So if you have, for example, uh, an asset inventory, or uh, you can uh, you know, back up the uh, ARP uh, table from your network switches, or even if you have uh, scan reports, like you may you know, scan your environment or part of your environment with, with a OT-friendly uh, you know, network scanner or endpoint scanner, you can add that additional data to your existing model to enrich it, and that will allow you to see, you know, more precise endpoints inside the the network map, as well as being able to connect the dots between, you know, what are the, uh, you know, hosts or endpoints with uh, services open or even vulnerabilities, and and how can I um, you know, how can I leverage the path analysis from the modeling with the vulnerability information to help me understand whether I have critical assets 
that are vulnerable being exposed or whether I have the right set of you know mitigation layers in place with my with my access policy um, but again that can be done completely offline uh, often when we uh, work with our our users, uh, they have an existing backup system in which they store a daily cop copy of their configuration files. Uh, so we can, you know, piggyback on that on that backup system. We don't have to uh, to connect to any uh, devices in the field, and um, and that way they can generate that that network representation and start their independent verification uh, to make sure that you know their the network is correctly segmented and also to facilitate communication with different teams. Like often, you know, we, we start working with a, an organization and they will tell us, okay, this person in, in this office has the network map in their head and, you know, pretty much no one else really understands how the network is configured. And so we, with the, the visual map, now we can have the common language to help everyone understand how things are connected and, and where we should invest in terms of cybersecurity. And can you talk about your experience doing this? I mean, when you deploy the solution and you ingest all of these files and you, uh, you know, tell people, here's what you've got now, global policy-wise, uh, is that what you wanted? How do they react? Are, you know, are they surprised sometimes? What, what do you find when you deploy this? Yeah, it's interesting. Like we've helped, you know, hundreds of organizations to improve their network visibility and, and their verification capabilities. And what's striking is that there's always findings. I mean, I don't recall a single example in which we, you know, launched the software and there was not, you know, no risk alert. Um, so over the years, we, uh, we compiled, a, you know, a short list of of the most frequent issues that we've encountered or, or that we're encountering in, in industrial control networks. And, uh, you know, the top three and number one, uh, lack of uh, egress access control, like we see organizations, again, investing in firewalls, uh, sometimes falling in the trap of this, uh, you know, set and forget. So that means that they, they put some rules to uh, block traffic from outside to inside, but then the other direction isn't checked at all. That means there's open, uh, you know, all services, all ports allowed if you're starting from inside to go out. So really important to um, to check that you have both ingress and egress uh, directions, uh, you know, uh, with, with traffic control there. Um, the second uh, most frequent... Um, uh, issue we encounter would be, uh, you know, insecure remote access uh, organizations or, or environments where, you know, uh, requests from third-party vendors to uh, to get a, a foothold inside the, the SCADA environment to be able to remotely configure or maintain uh, some equipment. And often that remote access just doesn't respect, you know, best practices around this uh, principle of least privilege, right? So in Instead of, of blocking for a specific uh, or allowing a specific range of IP or SUS IP addresses to a specific destination IP on specific ports, we see those those remote access not not being uh, you know to the level of security they should be. And then the third one um, is overly permissive rules. Uh, you know, so 
you know, finding devices with a, any, any uh, somewhere that no one paid attention to that was added, you know, years ago that, that we haven't checked. And so this really impact uh, the correctness of your network segmentation. Okay? Like those overly permissive rules uh, are the weak points where, uh, you know, that can be exploded in the case of, of lateral movement. Um, overall, we, we encounter a lot of organizations where, they still need to strengthen their, uh, you know, firewall change review workflow uh, because because they often lack a independent verification step. You know, they go straight from a change request to a change design to then pushing that that change of a configuration into production right away. Um, so it's really important that they are uh, setting up a workflow in which they in, include a. a a step that allows an independent verification of the consequences of the, of a change. And that's where the model like modeling is extremely useful because you can compute what would be the impact of a uh, config file or a rule set change on your overall security policy. So you include that step in your workflow that way, you know, a change cannot be pushed to production without this independent team that making sure that, you're not putting your security or compliance posture in the in the worst uh, situation, and then you, you you vet that before allowing a, a change to go. Andrew, the kind of thing that Robin's talking about, you know, making changes before you actually test them and make sure that they're right, isn't this the kind of thing that you do in like an independent test bed scenario? The the short answer is yes. People do use testing and test beds. Uh, the longer answer is that it's harder than that. Um, you know, a lot of the rules in a firewall, I mean, most firewalls in the industrial space, most of the time have a rule that say, allow nothing, which means that's, but that's kind of one rule or one rule per interface. Um, most of the hundreds or thousands of rules that we're talking about are rules that say, allow something. If I create a new allow rule, it's easy enough to test, is that thing allowed now? It's much harder to test, is everything else that used to be disallowed still disallowed? You know, what am I going to do? Test every possible connection from every possible TCP port on every possible IP address on the internet to see if they're all still disallowed. That's, it's just not practical. So, um, you know, you have to study the configuration. Uh, you have to see if the changes you made, and often it's more than just a, uh, um, you know, a single uh, rule. Uh, uh, you know, what what you think of as a single rule might actually touch three or four or five different parts of the the configuration in these sort of complicated professional grade firewalls. So yeah, there's testing. Yeah, there's analysis. It's just hard when you have, um, you know, to 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 manage these these sort of aggressive firewall configurations with hundreds or thousands of rules. It's it, there's a lot of labor involved. This has certainly been educational for me. Um, thank you for joining us. Before we let you go, um, you know, can you can you say a few words? What what are the the most important points that that our listeners should should take away from this episode? Thanks, Andrew, for the question. And you know, as a as takeaways, number one, it's important that we all understand that networks are growing in complexity every day. You know, your network was simpler five years ago and will be more complex five years from now. Uh, so we need to, you know, leverage technology and, and visualization to make sure that we 
understand the environment we have to defend. Uh, second, you know, we really need to shift our mindset from a, a set and forget to a set and verify. You know, you 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 deploy uh, security solutions, but it's just the first step in your journey towards becoming cyber resilient. Uh, you need to continuously uh, uh, check and and verify that the the solutions in place are still you know enforcing the right set of of protection in order to uh, be cyber resilient to, to keep operating despite uh, being under threat um, and then third you know it's 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 a it's a great community like working in the OT environment is all about uh, partnerships uh, I, I really feel fortunate that you know the NPVU or, or technology. You know came out of of a- academia with uh, you know strong support from from DOE, from DHS, and then really feedback from from industry partners. And that's really what we need. Like we need those types of of dialogues in order to uh, to build solutions that are respectful of you know the specific requirements of a, of an OT and ICS environment, but also extremely intuitive, extremely easy to use for for those professionals. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, call to action, I'd, I'd like to invite, you know, your listeners to do, listeners to do two things. Number one, there's a great uh, cyber resiliency review uh, questionnaire available on the CISA website. So if you, uh, if you search for CISA, uh, CRR, Cyber Resiliency Review, you'll, you'll find the webpage. I invite everyone to uh, to go through that uh, that questionnaire to understand where they are on this cyber resiliency journey and where they have to invest. And then, second call to action is, you know, seventy five percent of firewalls have some type of misconfigurations. So, go check your rule sets uh, today. Like, don't delay. Uh, don't again. Don't rely on on a set and forget. Uh, make sure that you have this independent verification practice. Uh, in place to, uh, to 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 stop any of those misconfiguration from becoming a a, a severe uh, you know breach uh, later. Andrew, to close us out here, um, what are the consequences to an industrial facility if you do the the kinds of mistakes that Robin has outlined here? If you set and forget, if you fail to update your your firewall policies procedures. Um, and don't have a kind of tool like this. There, there's there's two sets of consequences. Let's talk about sort of the consequences to your firewalls. It's a truism that over time, if you've got sort of poorly managed, poorly inspected firewalls, over time, those firewalls generally become more and more like routers. I mean, think about it, the path of least resistance. Once you make a mistake, once you've added, however temporarily, an any-to-any rule in your firewall and then forgotten about it, what happens? All of your trouble calls stop. Nobody complains about the firewall anymore. All your change requests stop. You can just forget the firewall. Look at that. We must have finally got it right. Nobody's complaining about it anymore because it's not doing anything. It's not blocking anything anymore. It's basically useless. Um, you know, and in terms of consequences for the industrial facility, you know, now you've got all sorts of crap that can leak into the industrial process, everything from ransomware to, you know, truly nasty targeted attacks that, that are determined to do, you know, physical damage to your process. Um, you know, 
what what this what a, a technology like this gives us is the ability to express uh, you know high level policies the simplest of which we're not just talking NERC SIP we're talking about you know our own internal policies policies like don't be stupid never allow any to any in any firewall anywhere in the industrial network and you know give me an alarm if anybody ever configures such a thing basic stuff like this so that you know you don't lose an any to any in your thousands of rules and uh, you know scratch your head why no one's complaining about the firewall anymore all right then with that thanks to robin Bettier for speaking with you andrew and as always andrew thank you for speaking with me always a pleasure thank you nate this has been the industrial security podcast from waterfall thank you to everybody out there listening